Everybody, it's Adam Shartoff, your host of Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, January eighth, two thousand and twenty-one, and this is episode six hundred fifty. This is a very uh, cool episode, actually. Um, some time ago, I saw a documentary directed by Film Wax re- regular Michael Almereda. I call him regular; he's been on twice, I think. But but he directed a documentary called Escapes, and um, I saw it. I was blown away. It's about this. What I thought, I wasn't familiar with Hampton Fancher, but uh, it turns out he wrote the screenplay for Blade Runner back in 1980. Well, the movie came out in 82. And then, believe it or not, he wrote the 2017 sequel. But um, this documentary was so artful and interesting, it made him, it, it just made his story seem so incredibly cinematic. And because uh, he started as a flamenco dancer as a very young man, then he became a, an actor, did a lot of westerns. He was very good looking, had the right face and features for television acting. And and from there, he fell into writing and he ended up writing these screenplays. And he has, in his later years, directed one feature film called The Minus Man, which I don't know if you remember it, but came out came out in 1999, starring Owen Wilson that's it. I mean, but he is, you know, I was introduced to him because he was uh, did, a, I think, a screenwriting course. He was definitely involved in the Vermont College of Fine Arts, which I have a relationship with. And through that, I was introduced to Hampton and invited him to do the podcast. He's in Brooklyn. I was had just moved up to the Hudson Valley and out of New York days before uh, anybody who knows my story in the last year, you know, my dad passed away. I was still very much in that headspace of loss. So I apologize in advance. Here we have this wonderful guest, this artist, this complicated guy, Hampton. And I do a lot of talking early on, and I apologize. You know, it, it's. There are a lot of very good interviewers whose weak spot is talking too much. One thing I can say is once the guest starts going, I shut up. Typically, I let them talk. I don't interrupt them, or I try not to, and I try to get them to open up more and more. So I think people like me as an interviewer because I do that. My weakness sometimes is I do, especially in the beginning of episodes, talk a lot, and I apologize for that. If that is boring to you, I certainly understand it. Get it if you get a chance. See Michael Almereda's documentary "Escapes." Look for it. This is uh, my conversation with Hampton Fancher, screenwriter, actor, flamenco dancer, writer, uh, Brooklynite. Um, I, I had a great time. We'll put a video version of this up on YouTube momentarily, but in the meantime. Enjoy this episode, Hampton Fancher here on Film Wax Radio.
knows your voice. Probably your your neck. You're brilliant. Wait, this is this is fucking solipsistic, isn't it? Yeah, a whole tunnel of me. Yeah, looking at like, all pictures of me. I like the uh, what Michael did with. It's almost like a uh, one of those documentaries where they just use random archive because it's really all about the narration. And so it was like that. Only it was actually was you in the archive. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it was. Yeah, I do. It was. It was uh, talk about solipsism. Yeah, but it. I was shocked. I was. I mean, I was uh, impressed because he, I don't. You know, he didn't have a clue what he was doing to start with. He said, "I want to do some interviews," and I find we did a few interviews, and then. Then I saw what he was up to. I mean, not the whole idea, but just, oh, he wants to do a, a Hampton Fancher hour. And, and I was leery of that. I didn't like it. And then, but he'd come over once in a while and we blah, blah, blah. And then, and then I said, by the, after a while, it's okay, enough, you know? And then he, <laughs> well, he, he, he was more compatible than that. And he was serious. It went on for a couple of months. And then I said, listen, man, you've got to do me a fucking favor. I've cooperated with this. But if I say, whatever it is you do with this, what if I say at the end of it, no, then you got to go, because this is embarrassing. Right. And he understood, he, he agreed. So when he showed it to me, because I didn't think he had a, he didn't know what he was doing structurally. And then, you know, obviously he made that work in, in, his, in his editing. And then I thought, oh my God, this has some little genius to it, that what he did, you know, the structure. Right, using your archive of your all that, and I didn't, think, and that took a lot of you know to go research that shit. You know, how did he do that? But there was a lot of stuff we couldn't get because I was there was movies I'd been in the stuff you know in Europe. I wanted him to because they would have been funny, you know. But we couldn't get we couldn't get a couple of them. Yeah, he couldn't get a couple of them. But yeah, but he did get some stuff too that would amaze me. Mm. So I was not embarrassed at the end. I, I was surprised because I thought I was going to be like, oh, God, enough, you know, that, 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 that. And it didn't seem like that. In fact, I seemed, you know, I could forgive myself, you know, because of how it came up. But it seemed to me. So I was glad. Because you, you felt embarrassed about or self-conscious about episodes in your earlier life. Absolutely. Or not earlier. All this stuff, you know, and, all, and just, you know, just the, the blowhard aspect of it. And yet it didn't seem like a blowhard finally. So, yeah, it was okay. Well, because it was really more capturing you in the moment now. Well, now meaning three years ago, not yeah. then. Because you look back at, you know, we're all kind of living with the choices that some stupid kid made, <laughs> meaning version of yourself however many years back and we're living with the consequences of it. We all know that. We all go through that. Yeah. So the, the anthropology of that worked, you know, that was kind of fun to see. I mean, just objectively looking at say that's, that's okay. How did he record you Hampton? How did he record me? Yeah. He had, sometimes he was alone just with his fucking little whatever. And it was like this. And then, and sometimes he had, most of the time I think he had a, an assistant, you know, uh, who was shooting a recording. Sometimes okay, separately. Sometimes it was separate. So they got video of you, and then they just extracted the audio from it, it sounds like. Oh, the vi I mean, I was talking about, the, you know, about shooting me. Like, I was sitting here most of the time. 
Yeah, yeah maybe. no, no, I, I, that is what I'm asking, because obviously you're in moments of the film too, obviously, but the majority of it isn't, see, I, I wish I had rewatched the whole thing, because I know it would prompt me to ask, it would bring more things up in my mind, but it's okay, we'll, have, we'll still have a great time. Did they shoot you on video the entire time? And then they ended up using a lot of it just as audio, right? Oh, yeah, there's Over. a lot of, no, it was all video. It was all shooting. There was no audio. I mean, it was audio beside the video, but. Right. Th- no, there was no, uh, we didn't do any voiceover or anything like that. Right. You know, that was, if there was, if there was any of that, I don't remember. It's been years since I saw it, but uh, then that was from the, from the film. You know, he just took out the voice because I didn't do any separate. Right, right, right. That's what it's, that's what, okay. That's what it sounds like. Um, yeah. yeah, very effective, I thought. And, you know, it, does, it sounds so casual in a way. Too. Well, that was the thing that I was, I was surprised about because I didn't, the experience itself, when it was happening, was not very, like, I would say, after every time we'd shoot, I'd say, this mm-hmm. was terrible. You know, it's like, you know, you want to do this again or come back tomorrow and try this same scene? Yeah, because it seems so. It seems so vapid, and yet the thing itself it sounded it sounded authentic. You know, I, I, I didn't sound phony or not at all. It sounded real, you know, but I didn't think so when we were doing it, because he was very he he wasn't a very engaged interviewer either. It seemed, you know, I was because I was like, oh, he's bored. He's not even looking at me, you know, and so I was like a little. And then, and so I was surprised to see how engaging it seemed. Right. Engaged I was. It's, it's a technique, you know, of trying to not lead you. Like if I'm like, you're saying something, I'm going, it sends a signal to you as opposed to if I'm deadpan, you know. Yeah, he just, he was just like, you know, he was not leaning forward at all, you know. Yeah. And, well, uh, watching the movie. disinterested. Watching the documentary, one does lean forward, though, because. So yeah, I mean, that's what I'm surprised about, because yeah. it, it seemed, I mean, what I see in the documentary from his side of it, from the filmmaking, that's a fucking act of love. You know, I mean, he, why would he even bother with this unless he's really fascinated with, you know, and that's what I was surprised to see. Right. It seems so engaged that way. And yet. My experience when doing it didn't seem didn't feel like that. So you had worked with him on a film, right? You were in one of his films. Oh yeah, I've known him yeah. for a while. Uh, yeah, I, I did work work with him. Yeah, I did work with him twice, I think, or once for sure, uh, with Rutger Hauer. Right. I don't think that that film was ever finished. Huh. Yeah, I worked a couple of days, you know, uh, a couple of improvisations. Maybe there was some writing. I mean, that he'd done that I memorized, I don't remember. But yeah, scene with a, with a really good actress too. So yeah, I don't know whatever happened to that film. I don't act anymore. He asked me if I would do that. I said, no, come on, I don't want, you know, it's a, I don't want to suffer acting. And, uh, but the, you know, he's, he's nothing if not tenacious. He is. Yeah, you know him, right? It's like. Not, not, not in that context though. Well, he doesn't seem that way. I mean, he's like, he's so, yeah, I'm assuming, and actually, he's not unassuming. He's very, you know, he's he's quite astute, but and he's and he's and he's quick to assess situations and stuff. But and he has Depends. strong strong positions. Mm-hmm. I love him. I, I when I met him, I didn't like him in the first 
instance, but shortly thereafter. It was after I saw Hamlet. I went, oh, wait a minute, I, miss, I, I, I mistook this guy. And uh, so I went back to him, kind of, and uh, we became friends. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I love him. I think he's in Pennsylvania writing this thing out there. Oh. He's an odd fellow, man. He's a dedicated man. And he's always been very generous with his, like he gets an article or something he thinks I, you know, would feed my mind or something. He sends it to me, you know, he's always done that. Mm -hmm. uh, got his eye open for other people's, you know, hungers. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's a very, it, that's a window into somebody that they, yeah, it, it uh, is. that they read and they think of you or somebody, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is this place you're in? This is an apartment that I'm in now. Uh, I just got here the other day. You can see I was trying to hide some of the, the box. I got here from where? Uh, down in the city. I was down in New York. And then I just, oh. I was living down there. And then I moved in about towards the end of the year, last year, early this year, I moved into my father's apartment in Queens because he was uh, not well. And he, he since did pass away. He just died? A few months ago now, it's it's April, yeah. What did he die of? Um, well, I know what you're asking, of course. It did, uh, COVID did contribute, but he was already pretty sick, I think. He was going to go anyway, whether he got or not. He was had uh, infections and he was septic. He was not a happy guy towards the end of his life. He, you know, my mom's situation, it's a long story, but uh, so sadly, yeah. And he was just not in, and he was in a terrible rehab nursing home uh, it was um, really frustrating and we couldn't do anything about it of course because of and then I was locked down I was I was in his apartment the only part, nice part of that was that my son joined me who was 16 so until like uh, about a month or so later he went to Los Angeles to be with his mother my son and then I, I, I uh, once I had the wherewithal I just started to clear out and move out. And then I just decided that I needed a break from the city for a while. So I found an apartment up by Rhinebeck. Is that where you are now? And your Bard College. Yeah. Uh, and what did your father, what did he do? My dad was, uh, he was in magazine publishing. He started off as like a, a commercial artist and he worked for this magazine publishing company in the city. And he just rose through the ranks there over the years. The only company I ever worked for, you know, the last of that kind of breed, you know. How old was he? He would have been 84 in August. So, but he could have lived longer. Honestly, I think it was mostly psychological in that regard because I think he um, was very down and didn't really have, for some reason, the that internal mechanism which said, oh, I have other things to live for other than just my marriage. I mean, my mom is alive, but she's got, you know, she's has dementia. And so his life revolved around that for many years until he just sort of became kind of uh, had increasing medical problems himself from neglect, self-neglect. So, you know, but they had a wonderful life for so many years. They had a really great time. They lived in the village. They loved living in the village. They, you know, they would spend their summers in Italy uh, at this place on the coast of, you know, Mediterranean coast. They had friends there and they just, uh, simple people, but they really had a nice lifestyle. But my dad didn't have an you know identity apart from that you know he did that was his main problem and 
you know. That's the way it is. I mean, if you live long enough, you you can you can you can die of just living long enough. You know, this like you know entropy it runs out, and all. You, what are you gonna? How are you gonna compare the Ligurian coast with mm -hmm. you know the fucking rest home? You know, and so he thought. Yeah, he's, as a matter of fact, he said he thought at the end. You know, he's having cognitive issues just from what he went through i don't think it was sure i think if he had been again avoided all that last bit he and been home he wouldn't have had it but he it just screwed up his <laughs> thinking and he thought for a while there he was in italy because the one time i was there i would get you know whatsapp it's like an app on your phone which lets you to talk to people free you know internationally so i would call this friend of his in italy and he got and and it just he thought he was in italy you know, it was that he was, he was, when he realized he was, and he got so upset with himself, you know, yeah. I was like, dad, you know, give yourself a break, you know, and I, anyway. Yeah, but you, when you think you're losing yeah, you're, control of things. Yeah, that's what it you is. Know, it's like, you know, yeah. you're at the mercy of, of, of a joke. Yeah. So, yeah. Are you still in Brooklyn? Yeah. I'm in Brooklyn as we speak. Yeah. Brooklyn Heights. Yeah, like I'm, yeah. I'm reading Arthur Miller's old autobiography right now, and and he's ta and he, he's talking about Arthur Miller. Yeah. Time right. pieces. What was it called? Time bends. Time time bend. bends. Bends. That's right. And, I don't read that. Yeah. Oh, it's really interesting. But but I mean, beside him being so fucking smart and such a <laughs> psychologist, he's also. Yeah. I mean, the people he's writing about, you know. Right. And I'm reading Louis Undermeyer before that. It's a new Marlon Brando or Kazan or whatever. But anyway, uh, but he lived right up around the corner here. Mm. There's so many people that have lived in this area of Brooklyn Heights. I mean, poets and writers. And, it's a small neighborhood. Are you, like, um, like close? I don't want to. I'm at the bottom. Just before Dumbo. I'm at, on Poplar Street, which is just at the end. Sure. Right by the highway, I guess, too, right? Not far, far. two blocks from that shit, yeah. Yeah, I know where you are. You've been there a long time, too, haven't you? I, I moved here in 07 or 08, 07, oh, when the okay. crash happened. Oh, no. I Upper West Side before. Oh, I see. Okay. So not that. I mean, a while, but not that long. Okay. Seems seems like it is and seems like it isn't, just like everybody else, man. Mm -hmm. You know, forever. And yet, I just, I'm still new here to me. Right. No, I, I would. I remember in 1987, my first apartment was in Carroll Gardens on Smith Street. <laughs> the, 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 the F and the G ran underneath. Like I, the first night I was laying in bed with my eyes. Whoa, open, whoa, saying, whoa, whoa. Yeah. What did I do? But, you know, you get used to just about anything. And but I used to uh, I had grown up in Queens, you know. And um, I knew Manhattan pretty well, just because I, you know, grew up. You know, my parents always would take us into the city, and I, I knew the New York, but I had never spent any time in Brooklyn. And and then, like, uh, I was introduced to this apartment, and uh, I I moved there just based. It was a beautiful day, and I went up to the apartment. The light was beautiful coming into the apartment. I just took it. You know, it was affordable. And it was 1987. I used to take these long walks because I was so unfamiliar with Brooklyn. I would walk all the way, you know, to Brooklyn Heights and just meander around aimlessly, just in awe of how beautiful it was. And it was still, it was pre-Brooklyn, the brand, you know, the big deal. Brooklyn was just a, a series of neighborhood, old neighborhoods with mostly still old 
generations of families that had lived there, maybe like my neighborhood, still very Italian. I just loved it. I would walk around Cobble Hill and, you know, just take in the beautiful block after block of brownstones and old shops. Yeah, well, this area, it's just, I got a lot of mid-19th century here, you know. Sure. Fine little cottages, wooden, across the street, you know. Yeah. It's like 1840 here, uh, this yeah. house. Whitman lived in it, in fact, when he was a teenager, you know. And the Eagle was here just a little few years ago. I used to walk by there. The guys who were working in the old Brooklyn Eagle who had been there since the 20s, I think. Those people are gone. I mean, like you say, it's a different deal now, but, but it's still beautiful. Yeah. Well, anyway, like what are we doing? That's a great question. <laughs> I understand. I yeah. understand well, we, we can, you know. Are we uh, asking me questions? Is that what this is? Yeah, but it can it can go it can go um, it does go into conversations at times, but because uh, we're already we already started it, so yeah. So when you back, uh, I guess the seminal. Uh, sorry if there's any noises, Mike. I don't know how to turn off certain things on my phone. It's okay uh, with me, man. <laughs> so when did you when you first uh, became a uh, screenwriter full time? I guess you know, and then I'm assuming Blade Runner wasn't long after that. You at the time you were. Uh, had, were you from in New York originally, and did you always plan to, was your plan to stay in Hollywood, or did you? No, 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 I had no, uh, I was, what'd you ask me, where from where originally? Oh, well, I was, guess I was wondering, since we were already talking about your, your, your being in New York, so many of your peers would have uh, stayed in Hollywood, uh, and I know the intentionality of staying in New York is, is usually avoiding being in Hollywood as well besides maybe just loving being in New York. Uh, so I guess the question would be, what went into that choice? Oh, uh, it was simple. Uh, I mean, I'd lived in New York before. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a dancer, the teenager. And I was here then. And, you know, I was constantly going, coming to New York, living in L.A. and uh, as an adult. And then, um, and then in the 80s, in the early 80s, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah, late 70s, early 80s. I was coming here a lot. Um, and I was living in Northern California and in L.A. Had two places, going back and forth and coming here. And then, and then, and I liked it here a lot. Uh, but I'm lazy and postponed things. I didn't want to move here, but I thought about it. And because I liked, you know, L.A. was so asleep in a way. It was such a... F- a dumb place it seemed all the time. I mean, I mean, which suited me not because I'm dumb, but because I like being sequestered. You know, I lived in Topanga Canyon. I had my, you know, a property there. It was great. And I don't have to see people. I don't like to go into the city or anything in LA. There's nothing to go for. And um, I come to New York and I would see there was thriving going on creatively. I, I knew people here, mm-hmm. you know, writers and painters and, and uh, so at one point, I guess it was 83, I was, I, I was headed, I was going to LA, I mean, going to New York all the time. And I was just getting a taxi to go to LA, LAX. And I, I thought I have time for a drink. And I stopped at 1-5, which is by Washington Square. It's a little bar. In Fifth oh, Avenue, Avenue yeah. yeah. Right. And so I used to drink there once in a while. I mean, have some they had good wine bar. And I went in there and it was like four in the afternoon. 
and because I was early to get to the airport, so I have a drink there because I, because I didn't want to leave New York that day. Mm-hmm. And so I had a meeting in LA. And so I walked in and there was nobody there. And I sat down at the bar and um, ordered a glass of wine and realized that there was one other guy at the bar and he was sitting right by me and on a stool and, and, I, and, he, and he turned his head and I saw it was Jerzy Kaczynski. And I thought, fuck me, you know, I love New York for that, right? Recognized him. And LA, oh yeah. And I looked at him and he, you know, he's crazy. And he saw I was looking at him and I said, only in, and I explained to him right off the bat, I said, I'm on my way to fucking LA and I can stop here for a drink and here you are. And I just read the painted bird, blah, blah, blah. And he was engaging. And, and I described that. I said, only in New York, you know? And he said, look, who's next to you? And, and, I, and there's another guy down the bar a little bit, big shoulders back to me. And he said, and I looked at Jersey and he said, mm. you know, and so I tapped that guy on the shoulder and it was Bereznikov. And so then we all started laughing and describing my experience. And then I got, then there was a payphone in those days on the, on the wall there. And I went over and I called uh, my girlfriend and, and, totally in LA, and I said, oh. you know what happened just now? And I said, I got a fucking move here. And so then I, I got it a cab and I was going to the airport and it was traffic now, you know, and it was like the, the driver was a Russian. And then in those days there was that, you know, he wasn't Russian. He's like, he's like hitting the car. Like, no, no, excuse me. He's Puerto Rican. I'm speaking to him in Spanish. Oh. And, and I, we were, I was joking around. And then I said, no. And he said, yeah. And I said, it's hard for you here. Huh? I mean, were you from the country, right? You know, you used to water and palm trees and shit. And look at all this crap, you know. And he said, yeah. And he was complaining about it. And then I said, well, do you think you'll go back? He said, no way. He said, I love this place. And he's screaming at somebody to get out of his way. You know? <laughs> and he said, I love this place. And I started, I got fucked up. You know, I thought, oh, I got to live here, man. I got to be here. And so, you know, of course, I, w- I didn't do it because I. It was a perfect day. You had a perfect New York day. And exactly. It, it, so yeah. that, but that, yeah. that was. Right. That right. was that was yeah. kind of it. You used to, I know. I I do. I think those things. You do have days like that in New York City. You know. Oh yeah. It's like days where everything is just sim- symbiotic. Is that the right word? I think that's one word that would work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just. Yeah. That's true, and I will miss that. But I felt like. What do you mean you will miss that? Well, I'm at upstate, and I oh, I am going to be back. Actually, Mike. Son, well, we're going to see how it plays out, but I probably will be in Brooklyn a lot because um, my son, you know, he goes to high school and not too far from you. He goes, uh, it's a little bit closer to downtown Fort Greene, that area. But he's, uh, so he's in Los Angeles with his mom right now, but she'll be coming back and uh, we're going to have, he may come back before that. So if he does, I'll stay, I'll be with him in Brooklyn. He doesn't want to live up here. So I'll, I'll be down there more, I'm guessing. I felt like the reason I moved up here was just because I felt like in the last bunch of years, New York City kind of has changed so drastically. But I don't want to be the old guy, you know, kind of being grouchy about it either. You know, I think, you know, if I if I, I still owned a place there, I probably would still be there. But I don't. So I had a little bit more freedom in that regard. But I lived there almost my entire life. A lot of years living in New York. You know, it's a big change. Anyway, so that's it. No, <laughs> kidding. 
it's such a career. I just don't know where to begin or what questions. I was. I well, think you're well prepared, aren't you? I'm somewhat well prepared. Well, you know, it's funny. I almost, I was going, almost going to say maybe we could do this. Uh, maybe because I didn't know I still had the the escapes link, and I thought, oh, that that is a great way uh, to refresh my memory about certain things. That's why I started it off talking to you about it, you know. But I think, you know, I know enough to continue talking to you. And let me just ask you, though, because I'm also kind of just curious about what you're doing these days while you've been, I assume you're spending the majority of your time quarantined, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, you don't want to risk that. No, I've got got a boss, and she's like, it doesn't allow even the slightest infraction of, Oh really? Of my doing anything out there because I'm 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 eighty eighty one. You're eighty one. I'll be eighty two in a few days. Oh, your birthday's coming up. I think so. And I mean, I think I'll be eighty two. You will. Um, yeah, I can confirm that. Yeah, but yeah. but um, and I had lung cancer a while back, you know, so I'm compromised. All oh, okay. Shit. So anyway, so she's like, Kadoom. and. Um, you know, rightfully so, intelligently so. But so I've been, yeah, I've been definitely quarantined and uh, for a long time. How do you, uh, how do you feel? I, I will continue to be, but um, I don't know. What, was there a question there? There's always a question there. No, so I'm wondering how you, uh, how you're occupying your time. Oh, it's the same as I've always occupied. I mean, I don't, there's no difference except the only difference is which isn't very different. I, I often don't make money. I'm not making any money right now. Uh, but I'm in terms of my days, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic without the arithmetic. Um, yeah. You know, it's the same well, as always. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm busy. And there's not, an, it's weird. A lot, everybody agrees with this. I imagine you will too. Although there is a certain laxness about this quarantine business there's not enough time in any given day to get done what you're supposed to do. It seems like it's, it's already one or two in the morning and you, what, what, you know, where did it go? And yeah. that's every day has been like that. Um, it's very true. There also seems to feel like there is a ground every morning when I open my eyes, there is that groundhog's day. Sure. Uh, experience of like, Oh, this is, uh, it's another day and it feels a lot like the day before. And then there, you're right. The, the day feels, even though experiences how long the day is, it also has the same uh, simultaneous uh, feeling of being very too short, like, the, you know, to try to do all the things you kind of. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, do. it's almost like, I think it's because, I mean, one reason maybe is I notice. ah, fuck it. I'm not going to theorize about it. Stupid. Hey, but you know, you could ask me questions of essential existential value rather than specifics, like what what time did you do such and such, or you know, when did you become a writer or a dancer or whatever the but, fuck it is. But you know, you could ask just you know, throw balls out there. Well, Mike, I, I know, and I actually have I had every every intention of doing that. I was kind of first just trying to get a sense of the what what you're doing and what you're up to and what life is like for you right now. And well, I try. I, I think there's also a sliding off. Like at this age, it's not like I, I'm, I've never known how to deal with, you know, the professional part of my life, and uh, you know, it's always sketchy, and 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 iffy, and uncertain. And that's been since I was forever. 
Right. And and it seems a little more so now because it's not like I'm popular. It's not like I like get Hampton Fancher or what's Hampton thinking? What do you want to do, Fancher? You know, tell us. And that's not happening. And, you know, it's like, I don't know that anybody knows who I am or anything like that. So that can't happen. But but I'm working, you know, I'm working on, sure. on a couple of things right now with other people and all that. But but I feel, I've always felt out of it. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I feel... I guess equally out of it, or maybe a little more so. That's the difference than, well, than, than usual. But I'm working. You know, I'm. I'm. I can't. It's hard for me to finish shit. And uh, I'm a procrastinator, and I'm lazy, and all that. Well, that's so why you, that's I have why things I'm working on that I, you know, I have a stack of things I'm working on, and I'm not addressing them as conscientiously as I could. You know, and because I'm a lazy, pleasure-seeking asshole. You know, I mean, I. I like to fuck around. You know, I, I like to fiddle. I could fiddle forever. I could fiddle. And I've always thought about the gulag and me. You know, it's like, I, I, I do well in the gulag if nobody bothers me. Um, and I've been in the gulag since I was four or five years old that way, you know. Like, let me, let me get out of here and go to my own cave and fuck yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. But you, that's why we're, maybe partnering is such a helpful thing for you because the other person might be more oh totally it's, i mean pardon me, I've, I've often had a, had someone who i worked with um you know so-called assistants or whatever that's very helpful to me right right, right now i'm working with a composer we, we've done a couple of operas now I, I do the libretto and he's very helpful in that process you know we like in these days we confer constant every day almost on um this thing zoom and what is the uh, what is the uh, one of the operas that maybe you've made some progress on? What is it? What is the? Story? Well, we finished one. It's it's called Salvation. I mean, we're not finished. No, he's not. He's not finished. I'm finished with my part. It's three acts. We filmed one act already. Um, so you staged it, in other words. Yeah. Well, we staged a poor boy version of it. You know, black box black box version. Oh, we did it. We performed it once at Princeton. And once here, Saint uh, Anne? last year, last year, huh? I was thinking Saint Anne's, maybe, but I don't know. Not we wish, you know. I'd like to do that, but you know, this it's it's a pretty far out thing, you know. It's like, and maybe not far out enough in some ways. I don't know. I, I sent the libretto and some of the music to uh, to the opera house in Buenos Aires uh, a few months ago, and uh, it wasn't innovative enough for them. You know, it's like they, they seem to seem like it was conventional in some way, but um, in some, you know, negative way. But uh, anyway, I've been and I'm working on a new new project with him. Uh, he's a musician composer. And. Um, and um, trying to get my trying to get the rights to a book I wrote of five years, six, seven, eight years ago a book of short stories uh, that they want to do someone else wants other than penguin wants to do um, our podcast and somebody wants to do a podcast as well, but they want to do, uh, um, you know, my reading those stories. So you do the podcast. Yeah. And uh, and we can't get, we haven't been able to get loose from penguin about that yet. Um, Oh, like a permission rights. Yeah. 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 
And, you know, there's things, I've got something I wrote that, that, I want, that uh, this great artist wants to do a book on. And he's done a lot of it in order to pimp the project um, based on, kind of based on Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's rather interesting. It's, it's good stuff. I mean, he did really good stuff. So we want to publish that as, a, as an illustrated book, mm. and, you know, a big book, you know, a, a tashin, you know, like a yeah, sure. and, uh, you know, working on stuff. Well, let me, just responding to something you said earlier, uh, let me just put your mind at ease. When I, I posted something on Twitter, you know, it's a way of just keeping people interested in what I'm doing. And um, when I mentioned you, I got a big, you know, a number of people were excited. And in fact, <laughs> Why, you mean, they said, oh, good. Yeah. Hampton Grandstand is going to write again. <laughs> what was your, what was one of the nicknames you got? Um, some, uh, I was just seeing it in, in some print thing. I just tried, I, well, I, I, uh, I, I, someone sent me one where the, they, they did a mock-up, you know, be on an album cover. It's called, and it was, it's handsome furniture. <laughs> guess there's a lot of ways to go. But uh, anyway, one of the people was the editor of Filmmaker Magazine. He retweeted it. I thought that was kind of nice. You know, I think there is uh, a lot of people know, I do know who you are and are interested in what's on your mind, you know. Um, so you talk about your um, lazy, your, your, your gra you gravitate towards laziness. And so, but the, there must be a point like when you're working on a, on a, a much anticipated I imagine high pressure project like uh, the sequel that uh, you had to stay on schedule, but I guess it must, there must be a point where there's enough momentum where the company well, is horrible. I mean, you, you know, that one, I mean, that's like, I mean, some people it's not horrible people who are confident or well equipped to deal with that stuff. But and it's always scared me to death. I, the, the, uh, you know, I've just always been constitutionally, I'm a delinquent. Mm -hmm. And so, and always have been, and it's hard. I'm not, a, I'm just, you know, I walk a tightrope between total failure loser to achieving because I aspire to something, achieving something somehow, you know, but that's, that's been the case since I was, since I can remember, because uh, I don't want to cooperate, you know, I resist. You know, I mean, that's why I say delinquent, but it's, but also I do like, you know, I'm inspired always. I'm aspiring always to something. I always got some project. I always dreaming some shit up. It doesn't, it never stops, but you know, I'm inspired, but, but it's, but I have a hard time with commitment mm -hmm. and, and, and following through. I like to, like, so is it lazy? Is dream, it dreamer? Is it a laziness or is it, is it, a, is it a, a, a level of uh, 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 passive aggressiveness on your side? Which is it? I don't know what passive aggressive is exactly. I know there's fear. I'm scared. You know? Well, maybe, you know, at the end, that's, every, that's where you're operating. And I'm aggressive. I mean, in a, in a way, maybe I, I don't know how passive I am, but <laughs> I'm... Uh, I'm um, well, if you're re re rebelling no. or if you're pushing back against rebellious, yeah. expectations and deadlines... And well, it's not that I want to cooperate. I mean, I'm, I'm, let's say this, 
I aspire to be, want to be, and I'm proud to be a professional. You know, I like to be able to, and I started that out very early in life, you know, because I was a dancer. And I was like, fuck, I can do this better than anybody, you know? And so there is that pride of professionalism always. I don't like, I don't like to disappoint people at all. I am rebellious. I am delinquent, but I don't, I would rather come through any day yeah. and, uh, and, and, and pacify anxieties and, and, you know, worries on other people's part, because I know people don't just because of my demeanor, I'm, I'm not considered trustworthy in some way, you know, it's like, but yet I know I am, you know, in a, in a, you know, that I'm really concerned and caring. And so there is that part of it that belies the delinquent part. Mm -hmm. you know? I'm not, although I like to fiddle, I'm not frivolous, you know? So if I were frivolous, I don't know what I do. I don't like frivolous. You know, my, my constitution is uh, serious, I guess. And I think so that like comedy, but I want to, I want to be talk about do things that are have meaning, you know. Although I don't believe in meaning, but you know, I think it's meaningless. But yet, I, well, things I that make people it. feel are not meaningless. Yeah, that's not meaningless, and also, yeah, I don't think compassion, beauty, etc., is meaningless at all. But you know, caring doing well, being well, whatever. So now I'm curious if you care about if you're, what people think about you. And I mean, beyond that, like, do you care about fame and do you care about criticism? Yeah, definitely. I, it's like, I don't want to, like criticism, for instance, of, you know, it's, I, my life has been a struggle against not being defensive, you know, accepting criticism so I could fucking learn something maybe. Right. Um, but my first reaction, I noticed if someone doesn't like what I do, I'll pretend not to be sensitive to it. I want to be, you know, I read Montaigne, you know, I, I want to, I, I like Neve Keats, you know, I, I want to be open and objective. And I would like to be thought of that way even, you know, I like that idea a lot. I, I, pro, I promote it, but I'm not, you know, I mean, I keep, I get rude awakenings that way. I remember I, I surprised myself because I think of myself as being somewhat philosophical and okay that way. You know, I've learned something in these long years and yet I, I get evidence to the contrary sometimes, you know, and it surprises me that I'm as thin skinned as I am sometimes, you know, mm -hmm. uh, where you find that out the most is in love relationships, I think. That's where you find out what an asshole you are, you know. And I... Or after an enormous success, maybe. After... Well, I don't know if there's such a thing as that. That's the other, the other part. You know, it's like, you know, you know about your failures. Although I do dream about my success. You know, a couple of times someone's complimented me. I don't forget that. But... You know, but they're usually vain things. Like I can remember compliments, a few, you know, somebody equating me with someone else or something who I admire, respect, or whatever, and revere. And those don't leave me the echoes of that. You know, like they please me to remember that. But also, you know, one remembers 
the other as well. Uh, I mean, you know, you get kind of obsessed thinking about that. How was um, coming out Nausea. of... Nausea. Uh, sorry? Nausea. But yeah. what? Oh, uh, coming out of uh, some time after Blade Runner, I guess it was a while, though, when you made, when you finally decided to direct a film and you directed Minus Man, was that the project? Is that your feature debut, directorial debut, rather? Yeah, my swan song in my debut, yeah. Yeah, at once. What was that like directing um, Cheryl Crow? Cheryl Crow. It was, that was it, up until the point where we started shooting. It was fucking scary because I didn't think it was going to work. And that was a, it's a horrible thing to be faithless in that situation. But inside myself, I thought, oh, what have I done? Because I didn't mean, you know, shooting gallery people who financed the film were pushing me all along to put somebody in with names and all that shit to pack it up a little bit for their, you know, to, for insurance or something. And, and, and I had, the reason I went with shooting galleries because I got a final cut and I had total control as much as you can have control. I had a bit of control, a little bit. And so, so that you, was like yeah. they wanted me to put her in the film. And I didn't know who the fuck she was. I had no idea, but I, I found out she was famous, you know, pretty soon, I mean, right away. And said, oh, that's what this is all about. And, and, and I realized real soon that she, she wasn't a pro, you know? It wasn't like this, it was like, oh, what have I done? I, I, I betrayed myself, you know, in accepting this. And it was Dwight Yoakam actually who thought of it. I'd already, I loved Dwight. And he was already cast. And he came up with Cheryl Crow to play that part. And I, and he somehow said somebody's shooting gallery. And they went, yes, you know. And she read it and she said, oh, I love this. And, and then it was, I was in trouble. And, and that was, I mean, it's funny you bring it up. Because right to the, the reading, I mean, not reading. We were rehearsing. Uh, I had like a week's preparation with the actors. And I, she came out to L.A. And we, I think with the Chateau, Maman. Mm -hmm. Uh, Owen and her, me, and it was a Sunday night. I'm sitting on the couch and I wanted to read a little bit, you know, some scene, some script. Oh my God. I thought I was really depressed. I didn't get depressed in that movie at all, but that one, that was, I was, I forgot about it till now. I was sick in my heart and stomach. I said, what? I just fucked up. And, and, uh, then as soon as we started shooting, she was, I, I was watching, you know, I remember the first day with her, some cafe bar or something. And, and I was, I was, you know, I said action and, and she, she did it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was shocked and relieved. I was so happy. I liked her a lot. I mean, I, because I was so, so pleased with what she was doing, but she was the only one in that film who wasn't, a real experienced actor. And uh, not that that always counts for everything, but it's scary if you think someone can't cut it. Um, so I was, you know, I was real chummy with her in the process, as I was with everybody. But with her, I was so relieved. I, went, I grabbed her. I looked at the DP and I went, you know, like, we're okay. You know, she's okay. I don't think she acted much ever after. No. 
but I didn't know if she could cut the dope part of it, you know, the, the addiction part of it. And she seemed to have studied that well enough to mm -hmm. be somewhat authentic. So she really was committed to trying to make it work, even if she wasn't. Uh, she went to classes. She had a private teacher. I didn't oh. know any of this. Oh, because she was she was also nervous. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't I didn't know her at all. Right. I didn't know. I didn't even know. I never heard her sing. I didn't know she was a singer. Even you know. And a songwriter. Yeah. Great. Yeah. yeah, I like her. I haven't the talked guy to her. that. Uh, I like the guy that played the bartender in that same scene, I think, in the bar. Oh, that guy. That, he's and a great actor. I, I, saw, I, I saw him in Fargo. That's what happened there because he's the husband, you know. Oh. He, so, oh, he can do everything, you know. He was brilliant. And he was, I directed him badly. I thought that's one of the mistakes I made in that film was I wish I would have widened his, his perspective in that role because I made him too hard. And uh, would like to see if he'd have been if he'd have done it more subtly, and I didn't realize that till after the film was until after I finished cutting the film. That I, thought, I should have, you know, I was too much on the money in that part. Well, why didn't you direct again? Oh, uh, not out of. I mean, I feel like I'm a director. That's what I can do. But I mean, not everybody thinks that from this film. I mean, but I was not. I was offered some things, and. They weren't things I wanted to do. The two things I was offered that I wanted to do fell through. And the things, that, and then I wrote two more to do myself. And in the last one, the, you know, all these things are cast dependent. You know, I mean, the stars to make them, that one I needed, I think 20 million. And, uh, and I had the star for it and I got the money. And then the fucking star took another, you know, jumped out of it. And so I had a few of those over the next five years. I see. So your attention was even longer. And I, you know, I just had bad luck and I, I guess I handled it poorly in some way. I got to take responsibility. I don't know where that is. And then finally, and I think it's age too, because it's like if I'd have done minus man when I was 25 or whatever, I I'd, I'd be rolling as a director, I would think, but to, I was 60 something or whatever. Oh really? And it's like, you know, nobody's going to say, oh, let's get him, you know, and, and I blew it because I didn't write something that was feasible enough. You know, I did a D.B. Cooper script that I thought was feasible and I did get financed, but that was with that star who dropped out. Mm -hmm. And so oh, exactly. I, that happened twice in that particular project. And that's the last thing I wrote for myself to direct. And then I finally, fuck it. I can't, I can't get it done. And so I think, and by age, I mean, too, in my own estimation, like, you get, what am I going to do? Direct another, I can't direct a movie now, you know? I just don't have it. So, so it's over with. And it's, and that's, I mean, it's more than a sadness in my life. It's a, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the little tiny tragedy of my life. Because I, that's what I, all I, I never want to be a fucking movie writer. That never entered my mind except to do what I did kind of to, to get along. But I wanted to direct. And I was directing things, direct stage, et cetera. So what, that's what? my mentality, but I never, but I blew it. I just didn't, you know, a lot of people, more people than not, I guess, blow their lives. I mean, in terms of what they want to do, what they could do, what they dream of doing, and they don't do it. Uh, most of the people I've known do that. 
you know, that's right. including me. And well, I'm, it's confusing because it seems like you really were not interested in it's like you fell into the acting thing almost accidentally. I did fall into it accidentally. Yeah. I don't so, act. But you did a lot of it and it must have been um, lucrative. So uh, well, it paid the rent and I could buy a car once in a while, you know, take a girl out. Yeah. yeah. It was fun. I mean, it was not fun acting. Acting was hard, but. Oh, but. Make uh, it look pretty easy though. Well, a couple of times it was okay. In one play I did, I, I liked it twice. I mean, two, opening night and closing night I liked. Uh, but the three months in between, it was all, just alcoholism. Uh, and uh, Well, you make it look easy when you're acting because you have a very natural style, it seems. very. Well, I should have studied harder. I mean, I was serious. You know, I, mean, I studied at certain, I taught, you know, all that, you know, method acting. Yeah. And uh, I was... Uh, you know, involved in it, but, but I didn't ever really commit to it. And I never wanted to, my ego or something, I wouldn't call myself an actor. I was always calling myself a writer. Not, not a screenwriter, but just a writer, you know, I was a poet, mm-hmm. you know, so I'm, I'm not, a, I'm a writer. And I would never say I was an actor to people. People say artists a lot too, sometimes when they're trying not to, maybe when they struggle with. Well, I was an artist, but a painter, you know, and I liked, I mean, yeah. those things, that's what I do. And uh, well, that's what you are. You're you are an artist, and it's why you have no. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm saying this in the form of a statement, like it's, but it's really a question, which is, you know, you're. That's why you're at, at your where you're at right now. You're still creating. You know, it's what else you. Yeah, got? that that's true. I mean, that I, I I never thought of that until I don't know about three years ago. I was talking to my daughter on the phone. And she said it was some guy we both know and uh, my age just died. And, and I said, what, what is, what's Ron doing? And she said, I hadn't seen him a long time. And she said, oh, he's, he's playing golf. I said, golf? What do you mean golf? He's a golf player? She said, yeah, he's retired. I said, retired? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why? Retired? She said, yeah. She said, you don't understand that, do you? And I said, uh, I guess retired, but I didn't, why, how can anybody retire? And she said, well, and she said it facetiously and she was being sweet, but she said, well, you're an artist and artists don't retire. And I went, and I was cried because it was true. I never thought of that before, but she said, oh, that's, I am something. Now, I don't think of myself as anything, but I'm that, that thing that she just said. And, and we don't retire, mm-hmm. you know, you, Right, no. Diddling. Artistry is not a, it's not a, well, it can be a profession, but it's, it's your identity. You're like a potter, you know, you keep with your, until you're, even when you're arthritic or whatever, you're still, old Renoir still, Mm -hmm. you know, got the brush in his hand. And it's, uh, because it's a kid's game. You don't, you don't, if you're a kid, you stay, you remain a kid that way. The career part of it. The career part of it, the, the, the. The The career part of it is tough. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the kid like, part. That was always tough. But I'm curious then why it was when you were getting out of the acting, and because I could see why also you worked so what you were so good on television, that medium in particular, because you're you were so low key often. I mean, often. I mean, I know you get to the fights and the the horses, and but I mean, um, it would work for television. I don't know. I mean, I I think that thing at TV so-called career is based on 
they have these shitty Hello. scripts, they have these shitty characters, and they're like, they're, I think Stanislavski called it typology, or Eisenstein called it typology. And there's, so there's certain types. I was an odd type, you know, I was an odd looking dude, you know, who had a, you know, you know, if they need somebody to set a barn on fire, I was your man, you know, and uh, sure. that kind of thing. And then when I got to be handsomer, uh-huh. you know, 10 years later, whatever it was, then I played, then I could be a handsome guy, you know, a swine of some yeah. kind, you know, the right. adulterer or whatever. Yeah. So there's these types, they, you know, casting people, it's about casting directors. They like you or they need to fulfill something and they call certain types of people in. I'm the guy in a white suit, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. And I think there's, so I never got to that level where I was, I guess, uh, perceived as a, a, an acting commodity, I don't think. Uh, I never got to be a really seriously good actor, but, and I wanted to be, but I was, I, I couldn't put in the time, you know, I was too lazy. Maybe it was, it was awfully hard too, acting is acting really hard. You, know, you, you would have been offered a cop, cop show or something. Well, that's the thing, I couldn't do, they would never offer me anything conventional. I was not, you okay. know, whatever the impression was in me going into an office talking to somebody, I was like, oh. whoa. I mean, oh. when I was offered, I was a few times series, but I was, I'd always come in second, you know, mm. in, those, in those competitions because um, it would, I'd find out why. I mean, after years, I'd say, oh, they don't really trust you. Trust me to what? To show up? You know, no, just, you're a little odd, you know, and that was true. You know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm lucky to have been, anybody opened the door when I knocked. I'm, I know that. It's like, because I'm not acceptable. I'm, I'm liked often, you know, but not really uh, okay, you know. And that's always been, that's ever since I was born, I've been like that. That's what we are, what we are, you know. And so part of you, what we are is how we're perceived. Sure. And, and you become what you're perceived too, I think. Sure, a lot of people do. Yeah. Yeah. I was rebel, rebellious and arrogant when I was five, six, really. And, uh, and was perceived that way and treated that way and gave me a certain foothold maybe that, I mean, my ego, I don't know, but, uh, become what you pretend you are kind of mm. yeah. so why didn't you become a what when, when you were made that transition then out of acting why it was uh you just didn't become a director because well i didn't i didn't have the chops not the directing chops i don't think but that the like i knew guys who became directors who are directors who you know i didn't have the ambition or something the 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 chops i mean the 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 power to push i would i was more interested in my latest romance you know Mm -hmm. than that and the ones who i knew guys who became great directors you know immortal kind of and i know i mean i i could name them we'd say oh yeah but they I, i i could see the difference then when i knew them that they were like 
and and some people had said to her, if they had what you had, they wouldn't become what they became because they'd be too busy having other kinds of fun, you know. And I was busy having other kinds of fun. Yeah. And not that it was a clear cut choice, but I did go and out of fear too. I was afraid to be tested and come up short, I think. Um, it made me very nervous, I was a very sensitive boy. And uh, I, can tell. I didn't, I, I, I didn't have the balls, the power, the fear was too much or something to uh, pursue my proper vocation, you know, properly, I think. And everybody knew that I was good. I mean, that's what I should do ever since forever. That's what, you know, because I was always helping that way, even directors, you know. I did a film in Europe and, you know, I, that guy wanted me to do stuff all the time. That was his job because it was so second nature to me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was comfortable with it. I did it pretty well. But I understand actors. And I know how to get them to do stuff. It's easy for me. I mean, I love it. It's like I'm at home in, in that. And the best time I've ever had in my life, like directing a play, directing that movie. I love that. Mm-hmm. I was at home. Mm. It's a great thing to be at home. You know, where you feel totally comfortable and you can listen and watch and enjoy it and contribute. And, and as, 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 as the duck swims, you know? Yeah, right. So. Authentism. Yeah, and that's, uh, authenticity is the one thing that's lacking in my life always, it seems. I was just self-criticism. I was dubious about myself. And yet that, that felt very authentic. As a dancer, I felt also inauthentic, but also very authentic, you know? Which, which part was? I was a dancer at first. I mean, no, no, I remember Manco dancing. Was yeah, but that's, that was I, the, I, that's what, what I did best. That's the only thing that I really, and I was still dubious about it, but, you know, afraid, frightened of it. But still, it was. I you're choreographed. Back. You're being yeah, choreographed and you, right? And all you, and if you're a, 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 a craftsman and you're being choreographed and you hit, you 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 are succinct in your work. You're good. Well, the, I mean, or, or I mean, that's a problem. I mean, like, like for instance, a dancer choreography. Although I was an active dancer, but the choreography was the main thing for me to do some things that had never been done before. And I was dreaming of that all the time. And dreaming is the key. It's like I've been a dreamer. I don't mean just in a Ichabod Crane kind of way. I mean. Uh, a hands-on kind of dreamer, like dreaming stuff was always, and still is, my deepest occupation, always. So that's it, dreaming. I'd rather dream than, than live any day because I like the vividness of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm addicted to it. Mm. I could do that every day, just dream. Uh, w- uh, uh, wakeful dreaming or, or in? Either way. <laughs> I mean, both. I mean, I'm not being facile. It's true, both. Uh-huh. I do, I love to dream, bad ones. 
good whatever they are I love, I don't get me out of my dream man i like it too it's too it's so seriously vitally voluptuously realer than real that i i like it better than life but it's life personified but but also i mean that's both both kinds of dreaming i think dream i i talked to a therapist about it a long time ago and he thought that dreaming i mean daydreaming mm -hmm. as it were uh was this was a solution to my problems as a child or a, a salvation to my existence as a child he said mm -hmm. that's what that is that's why you're so you rely on it you trust it you do it you know because it was the great the great escape from certain realities absolutely know? and a rich fantasy life a rich internal fantasy life it's all for me anything i have anything i might own that's that could be called complementary a strength or a talent or whatever has to do with imagination or it's humanist intelligence you know like my political social concerns has to do with my imagination mm -hmm. and that's after you know years of wondering and considering things that's uh, that's what i come up with it's all about that it's about imagination is that a one explanation or does that definitely have a connection with writing science fiction oh or is that uh, separate is that was just a no it's not separate but it has but it's it's science fiction is just a i have i have no connection to science fiction at all i mean i I never have. It's just that 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 just happens somehow. I understand. And I understand the idea of that. What you just said. The themes beneath it, or what you or you have more freedom to do certain things. But that's true. But I don't need science fiction to to do that. You know, uh, was, I don't know anything about science fiction. I've never read science fiction. I don't hmm. have no interest in science fiction per se, no more than I do cowboys and Indians. You know, mm -hmm. um, and I do. I'll read a cowboy Indian book, but. Uh, and maybe write something, but um, but science fiction has never been. That was just a coincidence for a piece of luck, actually. Mm -hmm. I didn't like that book that, that Blade Runner came from. It yeah, was just it felt, purely it felt, a commercial idea. So yeah. I said, oh, okay, I'm lacking in this idea of structure. I, I could never put things together, organize things, and that, I, Detective Chase's robot, yeah, okay. I could maybe, ride that you know narratively you know but i didn't uh, i mean i did have an idea about but well, it's deeper meaning about what it is to be a human being that was a big one and even a bigger one was what what the fuck have we done with this world that was that was everything so and that's where that, that fueled that thing mm -hmm. but i didn't think of that as science fiction i thought of that as kind of the ugly reality of 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 the old homo sapien tragedy, you know, what we've done with our gifts. Right, yeah. Torn it all down, put the animals in pet shops and veterinarian or whatever, you know, it's Circuses. like hell, it's purgatory. So has that been like a, 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 a what's the term, like, you know, a, 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 a point of uh, contention in the sense of the world is full of, uh, 
you know, geeks and science fiction lovers. And I, you know, I read a handful of science fiction books, but I'm not like going to Comic-Con, you know what I mean? But I'm wondering, you're having written one of the most, uh, or, you know, being part of the core team behind Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, arguably the, uh, maybe the most popular science fiction films. Uh, I know they were, the, you know, immediately the original wasn't necessarily a big winner, took a little time, but still, not, like, you know, uh, the, the community of science fiction lovers must think of you as uh, an icon. And then you're, <laughs> when they meet you, they've got to be kind of taken aback, if not outright frustrated. Have I you, don't know. I mean, how have some I, of those encounters I, gone? Huh? How have some of those encounters gone? Oh, they've been, I mean, they're okay. It's, it's, it's okay because, I don't know. It's, it's no, I mean, there is a little irony in that maybe uh, that sure. it's not lost on some people. We have a, a laugh about it that, I'm, that I've only read two science fiction books in my life and and uh one of them was that one yeah right and uh and that i'm and that i didn't even like that book <laughs> so although I, I have people who i love who did um people who made a serious study of that book and i understand something about that but i mean philip k dick but i'm not i'm not so interested um, it's been okay. Everybody's been rather, uh, I mean, equitable. I mean, the people like people who are, you know, who I admire, really admire. I mean, like one of my mentor in a literary sense has been Burroughs, Bill. And uh, he loved that fucking book. I know, I knew Burroughs. And, and, uh, and in a way, he's kind of science fiction. He, he is an influence on, for me forever. You know, one of the two or three, two in, biggest influences mm-hmm. in my literary capacity. But um, I guess he could be called science fiction in a way. Um, he was science fiction. But he, I, he loved Dick. And, and another a friend of mine who I really admire uh, is... Uh, is an expert on on Philip K. Dick and uh, loves him and and he wasn't surprised when I told him I didn't like Dick's work, you know, or what I little I knew. Can't say you you didn't read any of it except for one. Yeah, but he had, but that was Jonathan Lethem or is Jonathan Lethem and he and he understands fucking Philip K. Dick big time, and and I know that Philip K. Dick is worthy of one's attentions, like he's worthy of Jonathan Lethem, the smartest man I've ever known. Oh yeah. I just happened to remember that because I was unpacking all my books, Hampton, and I, I uh, remembered that I just where I stuck this just a little That's while. That's a great cover. I never saw. I know. That I love it. I love that cover. Yeah. Yeah, I love that cover too. I want to read more of his. He is a great. I love his writing. Yeah, I was going to do a movie of his. I mean, that's how I got, I got to know him. I was. I wrote a script. Oh. Uh, that was, in fact, one of the last things that I almost got done. I was going to direct that, I think. No, I wasn't. Um, was Dick around? I can't remember the timeline, so forgive me, but was uh, Dick around when in, in the 79, 78, that period? Did you know? 79, yeah. he was. I met him in, in 75. 
76, 79. Yeah, he was around. Mm-hmm. He died. Uh, oh, he died in the early 80s. He died when, because Blade Runner came out in 82, oh, I think. Right, right. And he died right then. Okay, yeah. He, he was interesting. God, I, I was with him a couple, three times, I guess. You know, I spent some time with him. And I was quite fascinated with him. I mean, he was fascinating and also brilliant. Mm-hmm. Not as brilliant as Jonathan Lethem. <laughs> it's not a competition, is it? <laughs> I, guess it I guess it is. I mean, in my mind, you know, I'm always right, right. You're measuring everybody, you know? Yeah. Like, I call man, people ask me, what do you think man is? I think man is an inchworm. That's all we, you know, we're always constantly figuring out how much this cost or how far we've gone or how much time we're hmm. you know, measuring, 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 measure, measure. judging. Uh, and I'm always doing that. Who's the greatest composer? Who's the greatest actor? Who's the greatest painter? Do you like this guy more than that guy? I don't know. I guess it's Darwinian or just stupid. I really enjoyed talking. I know you probably think I'm a, <laughs> as lazy and you're almost as lazy as me, man. Maybe more. I don't know. No, I uh, well, don't you know, flatter yourself. <laughs> right here, we go competing. We can't even get a proper competition going of who's the laziest. <laughs> That's ironic. See? Yeah. See, there it is, right there. Indeed. I'm too lazy for that. Well, I imagine there's a million interviews regarding anyway. Regard, I'm not really like about the anecdote about the film anecdotes uh if i want to know what happened on the set of blade runner i can see it it's probably there's probably a million uh articles and videos out there that can do that but i got what i was looking for a, a small idea of maybe the man the man behind the man right behind the, the bar behind the mask <laughs> okay man thank well, listen, you I really, you know, appreciate you taking the time. No problem. I hope it wasn't too unpleasant. No, not at all. You know, and, uh, not at all. And then when maybe one day when uh, we're allowed to, uh, we're never going to be allowed, man. No, maybe not. Going to be I mean, in prison I forever. Going, I'll be walking around the north part of Brooklyn Heights uh, in a hazmat suit, knocking on doors, looking for you. Yeah, okay. you wave to the wrong guy. In your gloved hand. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, man. Bye. All right. Be careful. All right. All right. You too, buddy. Thank you very much. I really appreciate sure. it. Episode of the podcast. Um, wonderful episodes coming up, folks. Lots of great episodes, a lot of great guests. 
And remember, lots of these and others are posted on our YouTube channel. So go to youtube.com slash filmwaxradio. Please do, I call it Filmwax TV, but that's still the address. Please do, uh, do, uh, subscribe, okay? Um, and, um, please do, uh, write us, rate, rate, rate and review us on the podcast apps, okay? Um, takes only a couple of minutes and it, it means a lot. Thank you, um, and we'll see you soon. And I hope that uh, you do take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Broken lines, broken strings, broken threads, broken springs, broken